Pushkin. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. You can find inspiring stories almost anywhere. For instance, check out the co-founders of Girls Who Do Interiors. This Miami-based design company was started by three friends when they were still in school. And right from the start, they turned to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards. And they handled them all in one place with the Chase mobile app. It's so important to have that kind of help when you're just starting out. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member FDIC. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, Solvable listeners. I want to let you know that this is going to be the last episode of Solvable for the foreseeable future. Thank you for joining us each week as we've mined the brightest brains around for solutions to problems like climate change, imperialism in the arts, size discrimination, exclusivity in gaming, the nation's mental health crisis, and of course, the pandemic. Now, although the world has many more problems, this is the last we'll aim to solve for now. And with that, let's start the show. This is Solvable. I'm Ronald Young Jr. It just looks like you're flying over a field of broccoli and there is nothing else. That massive field is the Amazon rainforest, stretching from Brazil to Bolivia, Peru, Ecuador, Colombia, Venezuela, Guyana, French Guyana, and Suriname, sometimes called the lungs of the earth for its ability to absorb massive amounts of CO2 and produce oxygen. The Amazon now suffers from man-made fires and deforestation. If somebody came to your backyard and started, you know, or your block and started cutting down all the trees and bulldozing the sidewalk, I mean, you'd have the cops out there in a second. We'd never allow that. The jungle is changing as people increasingly view the Amazon as a resource for things like wood and gold. And so bit by bit, day by day, they've just been chipping away at it. People are cutting timber from rainforests. People are gold mining from rainforests. Paul Rosalie is a conservationist and author. In August 2019, he posted a video showing the results of the wildfires destroying the Amazon rainforest at that time. It was viewed over 1.4 million times and received a lot of media attention. Just by people posting and resharing his video, Paul and his team got the word out about what was being lost in those fires. It gave me a reason to be working in the Amazon. I had a purpose. I was helping with something, which is something I really wanted, um, was to not just be, you know, 
being like, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I take pictures. It was like, no, I'm actually helping these people to protect their land. Through his ecotourism company and his team of forest rangers, Rosalie is trying to get people to see why the rainforest exists, why it's important to our daily lives, and what can be done to preserve the thousands of animal and plant species that make the rainforest their home. A single tree can be covered in, you know, reptiles and birds and frogs will be living on them, mosses, lichens, vines, all this stuff is just like a skyscraper of life. The Amazon's existence is also crucial to our own existence, helping to stabilize the climate. Rosalie remains optimistic that his efforts to save the rainforest will not be in vain. Saving the Amazon rainforest is a solvable problem. Do you remember the earliest time that you fell in love with wildlife or with nature? Mm. Uh, and you tell me about how that how that came to be for you. So I was born in Brooklyn, and my parents wanted to get away from the city, so I, so they moved to like uh, northern New Jersey, and so we had I had access to a lot of forests. People don't realize like New York and New Jersey there's actually a lot of forests there, and so my parents used to take me on hikes. I, I loved like stormy summer days when the foliage is really thick. Well, I wanted to pretend it was the jungle. Uh, and I used to love going out and looking for snakes and turtles. And and then as I got older, it took me to the Bronx Zoo. It's like it's like legendary. You see these animals that, you know, from all over the world that are so incredible. It just stuck in my head that that's something that you can do, that a person can do. And then when I was a teenager, it was like going out into the woods with like a knife and one match and my dog and I'd have to like survive for the whole weekend. So yeah. One match and your dog <laughs> just doesn't <laughs> seem like enough to survive for the weekend. <laughs> um, so you dropped out of high school with your parents' encouragement. Tell me, mm -hmm. tell me that story. Yeah. It always, people always scratch their head when I tell them that, but I was the worst student you have ever heard of. Well, no, second worst. There's always that kid that takes it to another level. Um, always. No, <laughs> always. There's always that guy. Um, but no, I was, I was, I think I got detention or suspended how many times through middle school. And then in high school, it was like I was old enough to be like getting in fights with people and just failing all my classes and miserable and depressed. I mean, you know, it sounds like, oh, it was school. But it's mm -hmm. like when you're a kid, you're in a room and they tell you you're going to be in this room for a long time. It's January mm -hmm. and you got months ahead of you. And next year is going to be the same thing. And when you grow up, you're going to sit in an office and it's going to be the same thing again. And it's just assignments and <laughs> it's boring. And so I'd be like, all right, well, at least I'm going to read. And then like, no, Paul, give me the book. And then I'd be like, you're not taking the book. Give us the book now or else you're going to the principal office. We're going to call the security. My, it was my mom came to me and she was like, look, if you want, drop out. And I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, you're not going to be a couch kid. She's like, you're not going to go work at, you know, the gas station. She's like, you got to go to college. She's like, but you can get your GED right now which is two years of high school. And I tell this to kids like it's it's a get out of jail free card. If you're ready to go do something, if you want to learn a trade, if you want to go explore whatever it is you want to do, you don't need to sit for the second two years of high school. It's not made for everybody. And if you're one of those people it's not made for, you take this test. And uh, I went straight to community college and then I applied to state school and I just, you know, I did my undergrad and that gave me the time to start focusing on what I really wanted and at that very, very young age, at like 17, I was already going, okay, well, what what, what, about, what am I doing here? You ended up in Peru somehow, so take me on that trip. It was actually, I think in school, a teacher had made a joke about like, oh, you know, this wood that they're cutting down the Amazon rainforest for. And I sort of said, wait a second, this is, that's a real place. 
that theoretically I could go to. Um, and so I like got it in my head and I started doing searches on the internet and like, you know, the first thing you look up, like go to the rainforest, you find like tours and stuff. And I was like, I don't want to do that. You know, I want to go, I want to go and do something. I want to go be part of something, something authentic. And I found this local indigenous guy who was working with macaws, you know, the color for the big colorful parrots. And I sent out an email and I mean, I sent out like 130 other emails too, but um, I waited like a month and a half, heard nothing. And then one day I got an email back and it was like, Hey, you know, if you're, if you're good in the outdoors and you feel this and that you can come, it was, I was, it was very surreal. And I had to fight that one. I had to fight with my parents with, cause they were like, you are too young to be getting on a plane by yourself, going to the middle of the jungle, down a road, completely out of contact for days and days and days and weeks. And with anacondas and bushmasters and jaguars and poachers and all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that one was tough. That was a tough one to sell. And I basically had to play the, you know, if I'm turning 18, I can, I can do it without your thing. So I'd rather do it with you. So I had to, we, we got into it on that one. But yeah, so getting there the first time was, was, uh, that was an adventure. Describe how big the Amazon is. And I don't know if you have any comparative terms. I can't really imagine the scope and the size. The Amazon basin itself is larger than the continental U.S. And we, yeah, it's huge. And when you're in this forest, when you fly over it, I was lucky enough to, to, to be in like a small Cessna flying over. We were monitoring for a shortier dogs. And you, we reach parts where you can't see anything but forest. It just looks like you're flying over a field of broccoli and there is nothing else. Yeah. Um, as far as the eye can see. And it's just, it's such a massive forest and it's not just jungle. It's a lot of people don't realize there's in the Amazon, there's grasslands and there's wetlands, there's the Pantanal. There's, there's all this different other types of ecosystems. There's been bamboo forests. It floods yeah. and it recedes. It's, it's so, so much more complex than we think that my big thing there that, that really blew my mind was that you show up and you see a bunch of green and these giant trees and you're like, okay, cool. But then it takes you a few years of learning to learn how much you don't know. Because yeah. once you learn all, you know, let's say out of, out of, out of 1500 tree species, I learned, you know, 30 trees, you know, and, and 50 birds and a few snakes. And then, okay. So I learned those things. But then I said, well, wait, the size of this jungle is so beyond our comparison uh, that it's other than comparing it to the to the United States I don't I, I can't even I can't even begin it's just massive do you remember the first time you stepped in there I imagine that's different <laughs> from the New York forests so what what, yeah. what was it like uh, you ever see the beginning of Jurassic Park would you see the brontosaurus yes yeah, yes yeah. yes and he like grabs her <laughs> face and she she stands up and like everyone gets chills when you see that and it was like the first time I stepped off the boat and saw a giant, you know, thousand year old kapok tree and trails of leaf cutter ants and you hear toucans and there's spider monkeys. It was literally just like, this is where I am supposed to be. It felt like it felt yeah. like it felt like waking up from the Matrix for the first time. I was like, oh, this is what it's supposed to be like. I was like this <laughs> is great. The one thing that my teacher didn't know was uh, he was scared of snakes. And I had mm. I had grown up like rescuing snakes like one time on a, on a trail in like New York and New Jersey. This some old guy was trying to kill a copperhead, 
And I just, you know, stepped in and like picked it up and moved it, which uh, by that point I'd caught hundreds of non-venomous snakes. And so I knew how to do it. No, um, thank you, Paul. This is, yeah. I am with your guide on this one. No, <laughs> no, no. Trying to stay no. away from them is oh, my sure. goal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I support you on that. Everybody should stay away from them. But the funny thing is a snake will never in any circumstances um, attack a person. You know, anybody that's messing with a snake, you know, you hear about people like killing rattlesnakes and stuff. It's like, well, you could do that or you could just keep walking. Like, you just, you could just not, you know. What a radical concept. Um, it's, it's amazing. And there's a lot of that in conservation. Um, but yeah, going to, going to the jungle for the first time absolutely was a major life-changing moment. That moment of seeing the jungle for the first time, that's it. That was like really the start of my actual life. Hello, hello. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. Let me tell you an unconventional story about a healthcare group that wanted to improve their efficiency. Boston Children's Hospital. They were already a leading pediatric facility. Their patient outcomes, workflows, and delivery of care were already great. But they wondered, how can we make it better? So the hospital got to work. Their idea was to build what they called clinical mobility meaning a system which would allow their staff to access information and interact with patients on mobile devices anywhere in the hospital. And what made that possible? 5G. The hospital rebuilt their entire system with 5G technology at its core. That infrastructure now supports thousands of phones and tablets so practitioners can communicate with patients on a whole new level. Boston Children's also made sure the system could flex and scale to handle medical advancements like robotic surgery and virtual reality for training and research. This was worlds away from how they had previously operated. This innovative work hasn't gone unnoticed, first by patients, but also by their peers. Boston Children's was a first place winner in the industry category at last year's unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business an event that celebrates customers who've dared to innovate for the sake of innovation. If the Boston Children's story rings a bell with you, if your team has asked the same questions about building a better business solution, I encourage you to enter this year's awards. It's a great way to be recognized for smart, disruptive thinking in front of some of your industry's most influential leaders. You can enter at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards that's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. I'll save you a seat. You can find inspiring stories almost anywhere. For instance, check out the co-founders of Girls Who Do Interiors. This Miami-based design company was started by three friends when they were still in school. And right from the start, they turned to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards. And they handle them all in one place with the Chase mobile app. It's so important to have that kind of help when you're just starting out. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member FDIC. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? 
Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. As you got there and, you know, you see this, you have this Jurassic Park moment where there, did you have another Jurassic Park moment when, you know, the jungle kind of turned on you or you saw less, less glamorous parts of the jungle that weren't so, uh, weren't so great, the grittier parts, you know, about uh, visiting and living in the Amazon? Well, the thing is, I love everything about the jungle. I mean, the, you know, people say, what about the piranhas? What about this? What about that? It's like, dude, Piranhas are delicious. <laughs> Fried piranhas are delicious. I mean, anacondas, black caiman. I've had close encounters with jaguars. The only thing that that after I had started learning and gone on adventures and and sort of gotten my jungle feet, which is something you literally have to do because the native guys, they're like, look, you're too loud with boots on. Take them off. Mm-hmm. So they want you to walk barefoot with the scorpions yeah. and the snakes and the spikes and the jungle. Yeah, it's... <laughs> No, thank you. This is all Ronald repellent. You're describing a place that Ronald will 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 see from afar on a tour. <laughs> Wait, but your team just told me they got you plane tickets. You're coming with me next week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my my goal to preserve the Amazon is by staying out of it. So that's that's dude. The, that's you're not the first man. A lot of a lot of people that really help us protect the Amazon have said the same thing. They're like, look, in in theory, I want to protect the rainforest. I don't want to set foot there. I'm glad that it exists. And hey, you know, I respect, I really respect that. At least for me, there's a huge benefit of that. I enjoy it. You wanted to go yourself. How do you get other people excited about, about the Amazon, about preserving it? How do you get somebody that, you know, that may be apathetic or indifferent about the Amazon? How do you get them excited about your work and what it is that you're doing? The rainforests are huge global forces in the stabilization of our climate. They keep tons of carbon in the ground. That's where all of our biodiversity is. Huge amounts of land for indigenous people. I mean, it's just the crown jewel of planet Earth. And some people still don't care. Yeah. You know, Um, but the thing is, if that's where you get to the level of like, yeah, but a, a bad environment, if you can't breathe the air and drink the water, it ain't good for business either. I was on I was on a Fox News show at some point and the guy, he was actually nice off camera. He goes, look, he goes, I'm about to come after you. And I went, OK, he goes, but this is a financial show. And and then they started and he goes, and I got a tree hugger on here. Now, why would we want to protect the Amazon? And I was like, you, you got millions of starving people because there's no rainforest and everybody up here starts choking and the weather goes all out of whack. I was like, that is not good yeah. for your third quarter or whatever it is you're worried about. <laughs> like. And that's the truth. You know, we need a functioning ecosystem. You started the ecotourism company, uh, Tamandua Expeditions. Tell uh-huh. me a little bit about uh, how that came about. The local guy I first met, his name is Juan Julio, and he just told everybody to call him JJ because he thought that was easier for the gringos. But it stuck. So now we all call him <laughs> JJ. Originally, he was doing that. He was saying, look, you know, I'll bring people onto my land because I'm trying to he was trying to protect his land. And he said, look, we'll we'll take you out for animals. And he worked with scientists. And so, like, go out in the morning and take data on macaws. And then at night, I'd be free to run out and look for snakes or do whatever else I wanted to do, um, <laughs> climb trees and stuff. Originally, that was the first thing I was told was, like, do that, you know, bring people that'll help. And it also gave me a reason to be 
working in the Amazon. I had a purpose. I was helping with something. Our, our deal is that we want to take people on authentic wildlife experiences. And so that's whether that's tracking tigers in India or coming to the Amazon and taking part in conservation. It's it's always like the real deal. And then also like now that we have a ranger team and that we have all these projects running. I mean, things have grown so much that uh, now now there's so much for people to see when they come. How do you think ecotourism drives conservation? I've heard people criticize ecotourism for conservation. And I think in some places there's, you know, like anything, I mean, in some places, I mean, water's great, you know, until it's a flood, but in the Amazon, in my region, it is incredibly beneficial. If you're a guy with, with some forest, or if you're an indigenous community with some forest, you might not have a way of interacting with the global economy. Even if you're an indigenous community that mostly survives off of piranha and monkeys and a few crops, at some point, you're going to need gasoline for your boat motor. And it's like, well, you got to buy that. And then when the loggers come and try to cut down your land, it's like, well, now you need a lawyer. So you do have to interact with the global economy. And so if mm-hmm. you want to do that, you have to earn a little cash. And it's like, well, ecotourism is a great way to do that. Paul, can you talk me through some of the ways that people are pillaging, I guess, for lack mm-hmm. of a better word, the rainforest? Mm-hmm. Yes. If somebody came to your backyard and started, you know, or your block and started cutting down all the trees and bulldozing the sidewalk, I mean, you'd have the cops out there in a second. We'd never allow that. Yeah. But when it's the middle of the Amazon, a lot of times no one's there to see it. And so bit by bit, day by day, they've just been chipping away at it. People are cutting timber from rainforests. People are gold mining from rainforests. And so in my experience, I've seen the logging industry going after giant ironwood trees. These are 500, 600, sometimes maybe 1,000-year-old trees that are habitat for thousands of other species. And that, at first, even I was like, wait, thousands? But yes, it's a single tree can be covered in, you know, reptiles and birds and all this other stuff. Frogs will be living on them, mosses, lichens, vines, all this stuff is just like a skyscraper of life. And so when you cut that down, there's all this habitat that's gone. You started a second organization called Jungle Keepers. Yes. Uh, tell me about what that does and how that how that fights some of the extraction that you're talking about. Right now, what we have is a team of eight local rangers, uh, a, a fleet of boats. We have a, a ranger station, and we are currently protecting fifty five thousand acres along this river. So a lot of the a lot of the area right around where we were starting to see that deforestation, we're sort of trying to arrest the cutting protecting old growth forests specifically. You know, it's like we can all do something. It doesn't have to be, you know, running with a sword on fire towards a bulldozer trying to save the rainforest in one heroic, you know, last stand. Um, So I imagine you guys aren't running at bulldozers with flaming swords. What are some of the things that you guys do in order to stop them? Like, we're not talking about like a citizen's arrest here, but if you guys are patrolling, I imagine there's some sort of execution factor where you guys are actually stopping folks from doing the things that they're doing to extract from the rainforest. We gave them a better job. One of our most esteemed colleagues is, uh, and he drives boat for us and he does maintenance for us. He does all this stuff. Name is Victor. Um, he was a logger. Wow. <laughs> I mean, with logging, he was like, yeah, man, it's dangerous. The trees fall over and there's snakes and there's all this stuff. And you got to be out there cutting and it's weeks on end away from your family. And, and I was like, what if you came to us? Because you're like an expert on, on the river now, right? And he's like, yeah, I know this river like the back of my hand. And I was like, OK, so what if you drive travelers up and down and uh, and help us out with what we do? And he was like, 
well, what else? And I was like, well, that's really it. And he's like, so I get good food, a clean bed. I get to hang out with people that I've never met before. And he was like, and you're going to pay me more. And I was like, yeah. I was like, what is logging pay? And he's like, 50 soles a day. I was like, bro, let's make it 100. <laughs> I mean, but really, no, it's so cheap. It's so cheap. They're working for a wage that is keeping them poor and starving. And it's like when we started Tamandua, one of the things we said was if we're going to bring people that have the resources to travel. Yeah. Make sure that the local team is paid in such a way that they're not just um, getting paid like a like a day wage, that they're professionals at what they do. And Look, it works. Paul, like, are, are you guys just a jobs creating organization or do you guys ever find yourself in situations where you have to do maybe like documentation and prosecuting? And, you know, what does patrolling look like for you? Uh, because I imagine you guys don't have, you know, a big backing like organization. You're not necessarily the FBI of the rainforest. So how do you get, <laughs> no. you know, the, the type of, you know, the type of executive branch stopping power to actually get in there and, um, and, 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 and stop, you know, uh, stop the extractions? And you're right. It's, I'm excited about this one thing about how we've been able to convert so many people, but you can't do that for everybody. We can't just make, you know, 5,000 jobs. You can't do that. So, but yeah, on a normal day, our rangers are, are patrolling and monitoring wildlife. So they're, they're checking, you know, where the spider monkeys are. Do you see jaguar tracks? Um, enforcement is something we do periodically where it's like when we need enforcement, we collaborate with the police and then because it's Peru, a lot of times we have to actually pay the police to come out and do their job out there. But in order to get the police out there, they don't have them too. They don't have the resources to, to do what they're doing. Then when we say, hey, can you guys take a three day trip out with us into the bush? They're like, yes, but it's got to be like, you know, gasoline. You got to handle our bedding, food. Um, there's a whole bunch of things. that Basically, we have to plan like a wilderness expedition for them. And it's funny, uh, I went with friends to the Brooklyn Botanical Gardens not that long ago, and the Brooklyn Botanical Gardens are currently fighting a developer that wants to put up a building that will shield the Brooklyn Botanical Gardens from all their sunlight. Yeah, the same yeah, thing yeah, with yeah. the rainforest, where it's like we got to get everybody to know about it first. We got to start up. We got to have you know fundraising and a storytelling campaign, and we got to get people upset about this and and not knowing about this, and then we have to hire lawyers. And we found after COVID that there were like. I think it was 17 football fields cut right in one of the core areas that we're protecting. And it was like, who are these people? We had to do some drone flights over. Then we had to take that information back to the city, show the law enforcement, try and get them out there. But then the people had heard us coming and they ran away. So there's no one to arrest. And it's like, it's absolutely brutal work. But that is day to day. That is what we're doing. We are just putting out little fires, trying to trying to protect this one river because that is right now that's what we can do tell me what listeners can do if they want to help with conservation or learn more about your work thousands of people do donate small amounts even like five dollars two dollars i mean there's also people that do a thousand dollars but whatever it is it helps it goes straight to paying our rangers getting gasoline for our boats, scientific equipment, camera traps. It's the most direct way to protect the Amazon. And then, of course, there's all the other things like, you know, being a responsible consumer, not eating fast food beef. I mean, beef is, is one of the largest contributors to deforestation in the Amazon because they go and they cut down huge areas for cattle farming and it just is destroying the Amazon. So there's there's also just at this point like, getting sharing stuff like on social media the fact that people share the fact that 
when the fires came out, the people shared that video, got it to the news, got it to people that now are big time funders and actually put some serious fuel behind this work and make us able to do this work. So it really is like it's it is a solvable thing. It is, you know, in, in conservation at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is not cut down a tree. You know, giraffes aren't going to go extinct on their own. It's only if we kill them. So like this is a very solvable problem. We just need humans to focus for a second. So really keeping it as part of the dialogue, helping good conservation organizations all over the world, traveling. The ecotourism thing still works. Support, you know, whether it's Costa Rica or Africa or or Peru. Come see the work we're doing. Get out there. Thanks for being on the show. I really appreciate you. This has been great. And I, I really appreciate you having here. You've really brought brought the rainforest to life for me. I appreciate it, man. And just just this, you know, sharing the news and uh, people being able to hear this. That's important. That's how we do this. That's how we get it done. So thank you for helping us protect the forest. Really appreciate it. Good talking with you, man. Absolutely. Keep the snakes away from me. <laughs> Paul Rosalie is a conservationist, author, and award-winning filmmaker. He's the co-founder of Tamandua Expeditions and Jungle Keepers. You can find links to those organizations and to information about the Brooklyn Botanical Gardens in our show notes. Solvable is produced by Jocelyn Frank. Research by David Ja. Booking by Lisa Dunn. Editing help from Kishel Williams. Our managing producer is Sasha Mathias. And our executive producer is Mia LaBelle. From all of us on the Solvable team and the Pushkin family, we hope you learned ideas and strategies that you'll use to make your community and the world better places. I'm Ronald Young Jr. Thanks for listening. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.